Good morning. It's a joy to worship, thinking as we sang that last song, uh, you were for me, not against me, and the psalmist says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Who can be against us? He is in Christ for you this morning, and we can rest in him. Let's pray to him right now. Father, we thank you for the time of worship we've had to, to gather together to remember that your name is majestic in all the earth, to cast our minds to Calvary, to remember you and what you've done in Christ through communion, and to celebrate the calling that you've put on our lives to Christ and to one another as part of your family. We praise you for this, Lord. Now as we open your word, Father, we we are eager to hear from you. You have given us your word, and it is your spoken word to us. You have communicated with us. This is your love to us and your grace to us and your goodness that we get to hear from you this morning. We were made for nothing less than you. And we praise you that right now we get to open up the Bible together and hear your word. Father, we don't want to be hearers only, but we desire to be doers. And so we pray for the work of illumination. We pray for your spirit to help us. Father, we thank you for being a good father to us, a trustworthy father, a glorious father. We want to take a moment to cast our burdens on you because you care for us. Thank you, Lord, for always hearing our prayers on account of Christ, because you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're in a series through Ephesians called One in Christ, and I want to start this morning by reminding you who it was that Paul was writing to, who were the Ephesians, and why was he writing this letter to them? So we know from the book of Acts and from other historical sources that the city of Ephesus was essentially a center for idolatry. Uh, One of the seven ancient wonders of the world was the temple of Artemis, and it was located right here in Ephesus. So so to be a believer in Jesus in this city was was obviously countercultural and an invited opposition. So, so, so this church, uh, just on two fronts externally, was, was tempted with idolatry. We need them coming from idolatrous backgrounds and persecuted for their faith. But it wasn't only external challenges. These believers were also dealing with internal challenges. This church was a mixed congregation of Jewish and Gentile believers, and so they battled this, this inward challenge of embracing their new identity, not as Jew, not as Gentile, but as one new man in Christ and walking in unity together. And so they're facing temptation, they're facing persecution, they're facing uh, the threat of division and and going back to their old identity markers. And, And this is who Paul's writing to. This is what they're struggling with. And he states his goal in writing in chapter 4, verse 1. He says that he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. I believe this is why Paul wrote this letter, just straightforward purpose to encourage the Ephesian believers to understand God's calling on their lives and then to live it out. 
Paul's saying, in light of God's glorious gospel calling on your life, walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in purity, walk in faithful witness to Christ. This is why Paul wrote Ephesians. And I want to ask you, as we're looking closely this week at Paul's prayer, if these were their struggles, and if this was Paul's goal, then what type of things do you think Paul would pray for them? What would be Paul's prayer request for the Ephesian church? What might make his list of requests? The answer may surprise you. What Paul prays for is that God would give them illumination. That's what he prays for, that God would give them illumination. He prays a prayer of illumination, just like we just prayed a moment ago. Why does he do this? If, if he wants them to walk in unity and love and faithful witness and purity and holiness, then why is he praying for illumination? Because if they're going to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, then it's not enough for them to simply hear the gospel. They need to grasp and embrace the gospel. If they're going to walk it out, if chapter 4 is going to come, and he's going to say, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, if they're going to hear that and do it, then it's not enough for them to just have heard the gospel as he's explained it in chapters 1 through 3. They need to grasp it at a deeper level. They need to embrace it. They need to love it. And this is what illumination is all about. Though we live 2,000 years later in a vastly different world than the Ephesian church, you know our challenges are not that different today. We are more like the people in the Bible than unlike them. This world tempts us with idolatry. We live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to faith in Christ. We're we're constantly being bombarded with the idea that our identity should be in something other than being a Christian in our race or in our political party or in our gender. Like the Ephesians, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. But that means that like them, we need illumination. We have no hope of doing this apart from God's work of illumination. The reason that Paul prays this here and the reason that we pray every single week for illumination is because we need it to walk worthy of our calling. To put it another way, we cannot follow Christ apart from illumination. This is not just an extra thing that we do in our services. We cannot follow Christ apart from illumination. We cannot walk in the gospel without an inward grasp of the gospel. And so this morning we're going to look closely at Paul's prayer for illumination, and we're going to see three truths about illumination this morning. The text is Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. We're going to see three truths about illumination, what it is, where it comes from, and how to receive it. What it is, where it comes from, and how to receive it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 15 this morning where Paul begins this prayer for them. We saw some of this last week. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Three truths about illumination. What it is, where it comes from, and how to receive it. Let's look first at what it is. What are we actually talking about when we say illumination? 
And this, this seems like a very Christianese word that we use a lot. But what are we actually asking God for when we pray for illumination? I want to draw your attention to a phrase Paul uses in this text to help get at the meaning of this. Look again at verse 18. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. When we ask for illumination, we are asking God for light to shine into our hearts so that we can truly see. For light to shine into our hearts so that we can truly see. Now, now, now that in itself sounds great, you know, a, a light coming into our hearts, but what does that even mean, right? This is still metaphorical language, right? We need to press in a little further. What, what is the heart? What does it mean to have light shine into our hearts so that our, the eyes of our hearts can see? What, what is this metaphor referring to? So let's, let's press in a little bit here about, about what he says here. When the Bible refers to the heart, what, what does it mean? It's referring to the deepest level of who we are. Essentially, the heart is who we are on the inside. Proverbs 4.23 says that out of the heart flow the issues of life, which is a sense of saying that the things that come out of us into our lives start in the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 12.34 that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. These passages teach that our hearts are what shape our actions, not the other way around. Our hearts are what shapes what we do. Our hearts are what shapes the choices we make. One commentator says that the heart is the whole inner life with its feelings, its volition, and its thinking. So so it's with the heart that we feel. It's with the heart that we love. And it's with the heart that we choose. And it's with the heart that we worship. Now Paul's praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. So, So we need to ask, what does he mean by enlightened? The light that he's praying for is the understanding of God's word. You know, God's word is commonly referred to in scripture as a source of light. For, for instance, you guys probably know this verse, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we can see right here in this prayer that what he really wants for them to grasp is the truth of the gospel, to understand the truths of the word of God. So, so, so he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, but then look what he says next, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, if you look at these three things that he says, that you may know that the hope and and, and the inheritance and and the power, these are things that Paul has already talked about in Ephesians. And they're things that he's going to continue to talk about in Ephesians. Right here, he's not actually going into what these things are necessarily. He's just saying, I'm praying that you'll know these things. I'm praying you'll know these truths. You'll know these gospel realities. Now, what does he mean by know? He doesn't mean that you would cognitively understand them because we, we already know that he's taught them to them. That, that these, these believers do know their hope. They do know their inheritance. They do, they do know of these things. But he's talking about a deeper type of knowing. There's a sense in which they know these things, but he's getting at a deeper knowing here. He's praying that God would give them heart-level understanding of these amazing realities. Not just cognitive comprehension, but inward grasping of these things. This prayer for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened is really a prayer for an inward grasping of the truth of God's word. And you intuitively know what I'm talking about. You know that there have been times when you hear the gospel and your heart is stirred. 
and other times when you hear the gospel and it's not. That's what he's getting at. That, that, that your heart would be moved by what you hear. Your heart would be moved by these realities. This is what illumination is. It is God enabling us to grasp the truth of the word inwardly. To help us understand this from a different angle, let me ask you this question. Can, can an unbeliever understand the word of God? Can an unbeliever understand the word of God? In one sense, the answer is yes. But by God's common grace, so it's still he that gives the ability, but by his common grace, he's given all of us faculties of thought and rationality and logic, and an unbeliever can apply the normal means of interpretation to a text of scripture and understand what it's saying. An unbeliever can understand what the Bible says, and they can understand what Christians believe. It's it's not like it's written in a mystery language that only believers can decipher. An unbeliever can apply their God-given rationality to a text and and see what it says. And they, they, they can cognitively grasp the concept Christians believe that Jesus died for our sins. They they can understand that at a level. But in a deeper sense, no, an unbeliever cannot truly understand the Word of God. And and that levels in their hearts. You see, they may be may be able to explain it cognitively. Like there are there are actually a lot of Pretty good, I'm not going to say great, but pretty good commentaries written by unbelievers out there. Now, I, I kind of stay away from those, but it's not because they're saying false things throughout. They're saying true things, good observations, but, but what, do, what do they not do? They don't receive it. They don't love it. They don't see it as glorious. They, they reject it. They don't respond to it. The eyes of their hearts are not enlightened. And this, I think, illustrates for us a little bit of what illumination is really all about. When we pray for illumination, we're not simply asking for cognitive understanding of the Word of God. Now, we're not seeking less than that. We need cognitive understanding of the Word. We need it to come into our heads, but we need it to go deeper. We're not just praying, let us know truth at a cognitive level. We are asking for an inward grasping of the Word of God. We're asking God to so shine light into our hearts that we truly know and we embrace and we love and we respond to the truth of the Word. This is what illumination is. This is why we pray for illumination every single week, because we don't want to be hearers. We want to be doers. And if we're going to be doers, then we can't just hear. We need to embrace it. We need to let it go from our head into our hearts before it can get to our hands. This is what illumination is. So, 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 so let's see next where it comes from. If this is what it is, where does it come from? Notice with me, let's look at verse 17 again. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So notice what Paul actually is praying for in this passage. Not directly for illumination itself, but but for what? The gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who gives wisdom and revelation. Paul is asking God that he would give the Holy Spirit to the Ephesians. Now you might be wondering, I thought we already have the Spirit. I mean, Paul just said a few verses earlier that when we believe the gospel, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And now just two verses later, he's praying that God would give the Spirit. What's going on here? Well, I don't think Paul's forgotten what he just wrote uh, or changing his mind. All believers do already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as the guarantee of our inheritance. So, so this is not a prayer for the reception of the Spirit. So it's not, this is not give them something they don't have. 
No, rather, this is a prayer for the active working of the Spirit, for a special manifestation of the Spirit, for the special ministry of the Spirit. And what is that ministry? What is that work? It's the Spirit's work of giving wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. It's the Spirit's work of making God known to us. Paul's praying that God would bless the believers with the Spirit's active ministry of illumination, and this is so that they could know God more deeply. And I just, I just want to step back there and, and remind all of us together this morning that this is eternal life, that we would know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That, that this is what we want. This is what will satisfy our souls. It's ultimately knowing him, knowing God. And this only happens through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who sheds God's light into our hearts. He's the source of truly knowing God. He's the source of illumination. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul explicitly talks about the Spirit as the one who brings illumination in this passage. We'll start reading in verse 9. Verse 9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so just think about what he's saying there. First, he's saying no heart has ever imagined what God's prepared for those who love him. But, but then he's saying, except you Christians, you know. You actually know what God's prepared. Why? Because you have the spirit of God. It's not a mystery to you. You know the hope. You know what God has prepared because he has revealed it to you through his spirit. And then he explains how this works. He says that the spirit searches the depths of God. You cannot know my thoughts and I cannot know your thoughts unless you make them known to me. But, but he says that the spirit of God, because he is the spirit of God, can search the mind of God. And, and, and we've received that spirit, so he makes known the mind of God to us, that we might understand the things that God has given to us. This, this is the ministry of illumination. The spirit takes what is God's and makes it ours. He takes what is known only to God and he reveals it to us through the word. This is the work of illumination. The Holy Spirit makes known the mind of God to us. Illumination comes from Him alone. He is the source. And I was thinking a lot this week about how this relates to regeneration. We know what the Spirit has done in regeneration. When we were unbelievers, we, our hearts were dead. We were cold. We were in total darkness. But the Spirit has opened our eyes to the light of the gospel. Like we were blind and now we see because the Spirit gave us sight. Now the thing is the Spirit's ministry of illumination is very similar to this. But by Paul praying and light in the eyes of their hearts, doesn't that tell you that that means that our hearts do gravitate toward being in darkness again? Our, our hearts do grow dim. 
They continually need new light. And the Spirit is the source of this just as He was the source in the beginning. You know, it's kind of like this. We're living with Candace's parents right now, and they have a fireplace, a real, legit, wood-burning fireplace. And and I really enjoy making fires. It's fun. And, and so just picture a fireplace, and, and you put a bunch of logs there. What's going to happen? Just put a bunch of logs in the fireplace. It, it's Nothing's going to happen. It's just going to sit there, dead logs, cold, unlit, no warmth. That, that was our heart as unbelievers. We were just a cold, dead fire. But in regeneration, what the Spirit does is He comes and He, he lights that fire. He, he gets it going. He takes something that's dead and He makes it alive. And, and, and He does that in our hearts. But if you have a wood-burning fire, this won't work if you have a gas fireplace. If you have a wood-burning fireplace, you know that after some time, that fire is going to begin to wane. Its heat will lessen. It will die down. It needs to be tended to again if it's going to burn as bright and as hot as before. And this is what the Spirit does in illumination. He, he, he is tending the fire of our hearts. The Spirit revives the fire of worship in our hearts by opening our eyes to see the Word of God. This is His work in illumination, and, and, and this shows that why we need the Spirit. We, 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 just as we needed Him to be saved, to, be, to have our eyes opened at the first, we need Him we need the Holy Spirit to continually revive our hearts. So we're, we're asking God in illumination. What is it we're asking Him to, to shine light into our hearts? We're asking Him to let us grasp and understand the Word at a deep heart level. That can only happen through the Spirit. The Spirit is where it comes from. But, but what, what can we do? How do we receive illumination? Is there anything we can do to receive it? There are three things, I think, that we can do to regularly seek and receive illumination. Admit, ask, and open. Admit, ask, and open. So, so first, admit. If you want to receive illumination, if, if, if this morning you realize, I, I need illumination, I need God to, to warm my heart, I need God to revive my heart, then you, you begin by admitting your need for it to him. You know, James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want to receive illumination, it begins with humbling yourself before the Lord and admitting to Him how much you need it. And so this morning, just, just think with me about chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we looked at that for, for several weeks Paul bursting out in praise, blessed be God, and, and listing all the spiritual blessings that we've been given. And, and we said that we want to join Paul in that, right? We, we want what is happening in Paul to happen in our hearts as we hear these blessings. We, we, we want to respond, blessed be God. Now let me ask you, how, did, did that happen? Has that happened? Is that happening? When you, when you heard those realities, adoption, election, revelation, redemption, inheritance. When you heard those things, did you respond, blessed be God, from the heart, praise God. God, you are worthy to be praised. Or is your heart cold to those things? Did they just kind of come and just bounce off and drop down? Is your heart cold to the gospel this morning? You need to admit that to the Lord. You need to confess that to Him. You need to tell Him, God, 
these truths aren't hitting me like they should. Or maybe your heart truly, truly is warm to God, and, and, and if so, then thank Him for doing that in you and admit that it's because of His grace that that's true. Understand where that comes from and continue to seek His help. But we, we, need, we need to bring our hearts to the Lord. You know, I hear people say all the time that uh, the Grand Canyon is just majestic. Right or the northern lights are, are, are amazing. If you went and saw them, you just you'd just be staggered. But I just imagine, what if you lived there? Like, what if you lived there and you just drove by all the time? You know, I think what would happen is that those things would become a little more, bit more normal to you. You kind of lose the sense of awe. And this is kind of what it's like as you live the Christian life. That that as we hear the gospel over and over again, that that we have this terrible thing happen to us, which is we begin to think the gospel is just normal. We just, we just aren't in awe of it like we used to be. That's, that's the wrong response. It is majestic. It is glorious. But we need God to revive that in us. We need God to, to shine a light. And so we need to admit our need to him. Tell him when it's become cold. Tell him when it's become this familiar thing. And say, God, revive my heart to be in all of the gospel, revive my heart to sing, hallelujah, what a savior. Full atonement, can it be? Ask God to help you get there again. This leads to the second one, you admit your need for it, and then you ask for the Holy Spirit's work. You ask for the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we tend to think that this stuff works automatically. Like If I hear a good sermon, then... It's just going to change me. And if I read my Bible, then it's going to, it's going to change me. And obviously those two things are true, but we miss something significant, which is the asking. God has instructed us to ask Him, to pray to Him, to seek Him. And He is delighted to hear our prayers when we ask. The asking is significant. And here's the thing, we can be absolutely confident in our asking. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke Chapter 11. Listen to what Jesus taught his disciples. He said in chapter 11, starting in verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See what Jesus is teaching there? He he is teaching that God is a good Father. We're evil parents. And we somewhat know how to give good gifts to our kids. But God is a good Father. And if we seek Him for His Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, of course he's going to give his spirit to you. Of course he is. He would be delighted to give his spirit to you. So ask, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Notice even here, Paul prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. He is a glorious Father and on account of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will give us his spirit when we ask. And so don't undermine the asking. Don't skip the asking. 
Don't just open your Bible and read without coming to him and say, God, I need you to do a work in my heart. Give me your spirit this morning. But finally, admit your need for ask for the Holy Spirit's work, but then open the word. Open the word of God. Just like a fire can't be lit without logs, illumination cannot happen without the word of God. I heard a story of someone who you know, was golfing, a Christian who was golfing, and they prayed for illumination on which club they should use for their next hole. That's not what we're talking about. God is not just zapping special knowledge into our minds. God is working by his spirit through the word. The word is the sword of the spirit. So, so it, just, it just makes sense, right? If we're asking the spirit to work, that we would get out the sword so that he can do his work, right? We must be people who are constantly opening the word, reading the word, meditating on the word, studying the word, discussing it, singing it, memorizing it, talking about it. How will we know the hope to which we're called? By the Spirit illuminating the Word. How will we know the riches of our inheritance? By by the Spirit illuminating the Word. How will we know God's power toward us? By the Spirit illuminating the Word. We need to open the Word if we want this to happen. This is what the Spirit actually illuminates for us, is the truth of the gospel. So if you, if you desire to know God better, if you desire to grasp the gospel more, then you must continually be someone who opens the scriptures. I want to ask you to turn in closing to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. This is a wonderful psalm. It's the longest psalm. Every section is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's, it's a beautiful psalm. And in this psalm, this psalm is, is essentially a, a praise of the Word of God, but really a seeking of illumination. And I want you to see in this psalm that the psalmist is continually doing all three of these things. He's admitting, and he's asking, and he's opening. You see this all throughout Psalm 19, admitting, asking, opening. So just, just, let's just scan through a few of these verses together. Look at uh, verse 5, Psalm 119, verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. So he's admitting there that he, his ways aren't steadfast and that, and that they need to be steadfast. And, and then he's opening the word. He said, my eyes are fixed on your commandments. He's admitting and he's opening Look down again, verse verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Again, he's admitting his need for God. Look down at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. He's, he's asking God to open his eyes. And then and he's saying, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. It's not that God is literally hiding the word, right? No, he, he, he's saying, let me see it, God. Don't, don't hide its meaning from me. Don't hide its impact on me. And then look what he says in 23. Your servant will meditate on your statutes. So open my eyes and I'm going to meditate on them. Don't hide them from me and I'm going to look at them. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. So, so again, admitting my soul clings to the dust, asking, give me life, make me understand, and then I will meditate on your wondrous works. He's opening the word. Just throughout the whole psalm, you see this. 
him admitting his need, asking God to open his eyes, and then looking at the word. A practical application you can make from the psalm is whenever you open your Bible, just, just start by reading a section of this. Just, just read the first section tomorrow and the next section the next day and just let that be your prayer for illumination. Let, let's, let this teach you how to admit, how to ask, and remind you to open. But I want to look at the very last verse of this psalm. This is really how the psalm goes for, for 22 sections. And he's crying out to God. He's in trial. He's, he's, he's needing God's help. He's looking to the Word. He's praying, give me life. He's praying, uh, help me to follow your statutes. And then the very last verse of this psalm, look at how it ends. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. You know what he's doing there? He's asking, he's admitting, and he's asking and he's opening. He's admitting, I've gone astray, Lord. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. I, I have wandered away. But God, seek me. Seek me. I'm going to open your word. I'm not going to forget your commandments, but I'm praying, seek me, Lord. When, when we open the word, that, that is really our prayer. It's not, not that we are just seeking God, but asking God, seek us. Seek us. Do something in us, Lord. And you know what, church? Jesus has sought us. The Lord Jesus, when we had gone astray like lost sheep, sought us out. The good shepherd became the sacrificial lamb. He's borne our iniquities. He's been chastised for us. He died on the cross for us. He has sought us in a definitive way. And every time we open the word, you can be confident that Jesus is seeking you. He is. God is delighted to give you his spirit. Jesus is seeking you. We don't need to wonder if he'll give us illumination. This is, this is a blessing that God has promised to us. We can know him. We can grasp these things. And so come to him. Admit your need. Ask for a spirit. And open the word, confident that he will shine his light into your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your blessing of illumination. We thank you for giving us your spirit. And even now, Lord, as we just heard your word, we would ask you, God, to let it penetrate deeply into our hearts and therefore change our lives. For the glory of Christ, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.